I'm Black Hole Sonny Rollins, and welcome to Land of the Demented Saxophonists. And I am Spaghetti Jones. With an M. That's, that's Jones. Or as I like to pronounce it, Jaumes. He's a Brazilian. Jaumes. <laughs> if you're drinking a beer and I'm drinking uh, mint tea. We're yeah, it's 11 in the, the morning. Spectrum. Yeah, it's 11 in the morning, <laughs> so it's probably too early for a beer. But uh... I like it. I mean, if I had a beer right now, I would be drinking it too. So I'm with you in spirit. I want to plug this beer. It's from the Alpine Beer Company called Duet, and they're based in San Diego, and it's a really good IPA. I'm going to plug this tea. This is a <laughs> Moroccan mint by Numi, and uh, it's relaxing as... Meow. I'm going to have to meow that out. <laughs> <laughs> Just want to point out to our listeners, we are on all the major podcast streaming sites, so if you like this podcast, please go on and uh, subscribe. Mm -hmm. We'd love to be in your ears every mm -hmm. week. We want to be in your ears. I'm wearing this Salesforce hoodie like I like I work there. Like I, I don't know why I'm wearing a tech hoodie this morning, but I think the funniest thing about Salesforce is that no one that works at Salesforce actually knows what Salesforce does. <laughs> like if you listen in on their meetings, it's clear that like it's a pyramid scheme and no one understands it at all. They're just, they, no, they don't want to be the first one to admit that, that they don't know. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Does your wife work for Salesforce? <laughs> Yes, she does. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. She's fine with it. So today we're talking about, well, it's kind of a grab bag, but we're talking about the origins of goth rock and the occult in rock music. And what else? Anything else, Dave? We're talking about a Jim Jarmusch movie, too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> which which one? As one does. Mystery Train. Yeah, which is a good one. Yes. Next week, we're talking about vampires. And we were supposed to talk about vampires this week, or rather Dracula, to be more specific. Yes. But when the topic came up, the first thing that kind of came to my mind, which inspired this episode, is the cover of um, this Bauhaus record, Bella Lugosi's Dead. I'm going to mm. show it to you, Dave, although That's can't cool... see it on the pod, but it's got a uh, this bat on the cover, which I think is a still from an old movie. And it's about, I guess, in name, Bella Lugosi's funeral. <laughs> Bella Lugosi, of course, starred as Dracula in, I believe, a 1931 version of that film he also ended up playing i believe igor in the later frankenstein movies it just got me thinking about dracula extending beyond movies and into popular mm -hmm. culture and then it got me thinking about goth rock and just like in general like theatrical rock which is inspired by themes of the occult now i hadn't heard bauhaus before and i hadn't heard bella lugosi is dead before this mm -hmm. and i listened to it and it's a fantastic song it's it's very long, which is yeah, which is good. It's like oh, I'm, my commute to work is over. Thank you, Bauhaus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm by no means a an expert in in the origins of goth rock. I'm interested in general in in genre <laughs> when it comes to music. Definitely not not an expert in this genre, but this particular song I think is generally credited as kind of being the first proper goth rock song, hmm. and it was released in the year that we were both born, 1979. Um, the best year. So I, I started to think about like what what would I think would would define goth rock, and I immediately came up 
with nothing. So I, I looked it up and to me, to me, it has always been more about the fashion as opposed mm-hmm. to the sound. But this song, I guess, was sort of defined as the first goth rock song because it had a few sonic things that sort of set a template. It was mm-hmm. influenced a lot by sort of like dub music from mm-hmm. Jamaica, which had like a lot of reverb. Yeah. So the guitars feeling like they're, they're in kind of like a, a cavernous room. It's got obviously a lot of theatricality in it. The the voice, like you hear that resonant voice, that that I think has become a staple of, of goth rock. I would say the voice is almost reminiscent of Bela Lugosi's accent in the Dracula movie. Yeah, some, somehow feeling like it's like coming from like a, a, a deeper, darker place, right? A sense of the macabre, I think, mm-hmm. you know, suffuses this, but that is, I think, not limited just to goth rock, obviously, like that has, I think, been a staple of rock music in general. Mm-hmm. But yeah, kind of going further back than that, I think the the first sort of song that was goth was I Put a Spell on You by Screamin' Jay Hawkins, released in 1956. Which he was, he was very much into his stage persona. Mm-hmm. At one point, uh, a, 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 the producer at a venue who was performing paid him $300 to emerge from a coffin at, <laughs> That's at one of his shows. And that was sort of the birth of the 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 macabre like horror stage shows that became mm-hmm. a lot more uh, obscene and, and crazy mm-hmm. as time went on. And he was a, a boxer. And when he was a kid, his uh, family was raided by Blackfoot Indians, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> He had he had kind of a crazy life, which is really which I think makes it more interesting. And you know, you look at the stage persona, and it's like the coffins, as you mentioned, the bones through the nose, a lot of things which became uh, staples of of shock rock. You know, you think like Alice Cooper, right? Um, mm-hmm. But that all kind of started, I think, with him. So, taking a side note here, we we both watched Mystery Train last night. Um, yes, as you mentioned by Jim Jarmusch, and Screaming Jay Hawkins is plays a prominent role in that movie. He's the bellhop at the sort of the hotel that the movie revolves around. And what'd you think? What, what's your, what's your like, what's your take on that film? Um, it felt like Tarantino before Tarantino, which it very much was. It's sort of, it's based on, it's, it's split into three different stories, all involving foreigners. The first one involving a Japanese couple who's there to see sort of the origins of rock music and argue about who was better, Elvis or Carl Perkins. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, the second story being about uh, an Italian woman who's there to, I think, pick up the coffin of her dead husband and has a little adventure. And then the third story is about three guys who end up shooting a liquor store clerk and going on the run. But the guy who shoots the liquor store clerk is also played by Joe Strummer of The Clash. Which is awesome. Like it, <laughs> what I like about his movies in general, but this one specifically is is how much of it is like thematically tied to music. And this yeah. is set in Memphis, and the whole thing is suffused with this like this foreboding, and also just all this reverence for blues and soul, and and also mm-hmm. also a feeling of like loss at the city mm-hmm. that was once the pinnacle of of the music industry and was no more. Well, and you 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 watch them cruising around town, and there's you know, in addition to the the rundown, is it Sun Sun Records where Elvis recorded? You know, there's lots of other studios that are sort of in the background and boarded up. Yeah, I think they passed by stacks, and it's like yeah, it's just totally abandoned. And no, you know, nobody was going to see that. And what was interesting is, I guess Jarmusch, when he wrote the wrote the movie, had never been to Memphis, which mm-hmm. is interesting because when you watch it, it has a really distinct sense of place and i'm curious yeah. as to how 
much Memphis actually resembles it because this is Memphis mm-hmm. in my mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One more interesting tidbit about the movie, the radio DJ who is in a lot of the movie and sort of hosts the soundtrack uh, is played by Tom Waits. Oh yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> extending that musical theme. Um, and John Lurie, who did the soundtrack and the score for it, I believe mm-hmm. has been uh, is kind of a staple of Jeremy Rush's movies as well. Mm-hmm. One thing I liked about it is the... Um, the young man that plays one of the two Japanese um, music fans in the first vignette, he does the hard work of promoting and supporting uh, resting bitch face. (laughs) 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 It's kind of a scene where like he, he, he's getting, he's getting roasted about his resting bitch face. And he's kind of like, I am happy. This is just my face. (laughs) And as someone who like sometimes suffers from RBF, like I'm like, yeah, you know what? Don't judge. Don't judge. It's just someone's face, man. My favorite line of his is, I'm just in love with being 18 years old. Yeah. It's It's just a good, it's a a really enjoyable movie. It can be screamed on the Criterion channel. Did I say screamed? Yes. Ah! (laughs) Streamed. So I I watched a little, getting back to, um, before we get into sort of the broader topic Mm. of the occult, um, I watched a little video on sort of the origins of goth just to like, you know, bone up on this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that video, you know, kind of, it, it talked about screaming Jay Hawkins, but it also talked about a few other um, artists who were kind of relevant and important to the, sort of the growth of this, of this musical genre. And mm-hmm. um, one that I would not have guessed was Jim Morrison. Oh yeah. Mr. Ro- Mr. Mojo rising. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and specifically they talked about the song, the end, just his vocal style. Obviously I think the, that Jim Morrison sort of baritone sonorous voice, like definitely influenced like Joy Division, Ian Curtis. You know, they also, you know, talked about Velvet Underground and Nico, the sort of droning guitars. And mm. I didn't realize this, but Lou Reed like uh, had a specific tuning where he tuned everything to the same, all the strings to the same note, Weird. which allowed it to have this really like droning sound, which um, kind of influenced some of the guitar tone. Um, and then obviously kind of going into Alice Cooper and we already talked about Alice Cooper and sort of the shock rock, you know, mm-hmm. stage presence and theatricality. Yeah. He pan- pan- pantomime suicide on stage. Yeah. yeah. Snakes, snakes everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never really like gotten into Alice Cooper. Have you? No, I mean, and I think he, you know, he, it's very much an act, you yeah. know? Yeah. It was super dark and sensational, but then he was, you know, golfing in programs on the weekend yeah. And he displayed his personality <laughs> and all its weirdness in Wayne's world when he comes out wearing all his makeup and starts lecturing them about the origins of the city named Milwaukee. <laughs> Miliwake. <laughs> Meaning the good land. <laughs> he strikes me. I mean, I don't want I like I don't want to disparage Alice Cooper, but he strikes me as someone who who knew very well like the the sort of marketing value of that and mm-hmm. and you know, from the very beginning decided that would be a good career move, which kind of takes the I don't know. I might be, I might be totally slandering him here, but I want to feel the authenticity. <laughs> so the the devil really creeped into rock music in mm-hmm. uh, the late '60s and '70s, mm-hmm. and one of the one of the the figures that a lot of bands looked to was Aleister Crowley, who was mm-hmm. who was an English occultist and writer. He was one of those people who was independently wealthy and could kind of go and do what he wanted, although he died a pauper and is buried in a pauper's grave. Mm -hmm. He founded a religion called Thelema, 
and uh, his mantra was "Do what thou wilt." So, the, <laughs> the, the 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 that was the the beginning and end of what should have been all human law, according to Crowley. Wow. <laughs> In, interestingly, in the show Supernatural, there's a character named Crowley who becomes the new king of hell. <laughs> but um, Supernatural on the WB. No, yes. it's not on the WB. I'm sorry. Wait, is it the on CW, the WB? The CW. The C-dubs. That's right. Yeah. It's Supernatural. It's quite a good show. I liked it. Although I stopped watching after like the last couple seasons because it just, yeah. Did that Was that the show that had Chad Michael Murray on it? Mm, I don't think so. I take but, uh, a Chad Michael Murray comment. Go on. <laughs> Crowley was uh, in the group on the cover of the Sgt. Pepper album. So the the big collage with the Beatles and there's all the people in the background. And that got a lot of people interested in him. Pop quiz, name all the people on the Sgt. Pepper <laughs> Go. You have five minutes. Originally, originally, they were also going to include uh, Gandhi and Hitler, but took those off at the last minute in fear of controversy. <laughs> that would have been fun to be in those meetings about what who they were going to include. <laughs> But uh, Charles Manson was obsessed with the Beatles, mm-hmm. and he wanted to become a rock icon. Yeah, and he actually he he was pretty successful at getting into the circle, right? With the with mm-hmm. the Beach Boys, like I know yeah. he he was at some of the sessions. Yeah, he styled himself a songwriter, writer, and eventually he got kicked out of uh, Brian Wilson's house because he was just like freeloading, and mm-hmm. it was a nonstop party. Mm-hmm. But uh, obviously Manson, you know, perpetrated a cult that killed at least seven people, including Sharon Tate. But uh, he really tried to insinuate himself into the Beatles, the Beach Boys social circle and was convinced there was messages about a coming race war in the White Album mm-hmm. by the Beatles. Uh, I, I wonder how, you know, you think like, OK, maybe maybe the resentment of like being rejected from from these groups that he sought you know, validation from led him to kind of go off the deep end. But I think with Manson, he was, he was already pretty, pretty ready to, to go crazy. Right. Oh yeah. He was, he was pretty nut, nuts already. And I, yeah. I think what actually one of the scariest things for me about Manson was he was very rational despite mm-hmm. the fact that he was insane. And, you know, he really wanted to uh, perpetrate and start Helter Skelter, which was sort of the race war that he thought would, change mm-hmm. human civilization mm-hmm. the the rolling stones kind of adopted a lot of this theatricality although they mainly did mm-hmm. it because they wanted to freak out the christian fundamentalists yeah they had kind of a mild interest <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> but they called their album one of their albums their majesty their satanic majesty's request yeah you can always tell with them that they were they were they weren't really in it for for the for the long haul on, on yeah. the satanism they were <laughs> they were primarily there to do coke <laughs> <laughs> Graham Bond was uh, friends with Mick Jagger, and he mm-hmm. had like songs that were really overtly about devil worship in the occult. Um, but his band, he never really got very famous, but his band ended up producing Jack Bruce and Ginger Baker, who mm-hmm. were part of the band Cream. So before they were in Cream? Yes. Okay. Now Led Zeppelin was really into the occult. They embraced the do what thou wilt mantra and included uh-huh. it as a heading on party invitations. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And Paige, Paige uh, bought Crowley's old house. Wow. Yeah. On the shores of Loch Ness even. Yeah. That's Which makes amazing. you wonder, are there links between Aleister Crowley and our, our friend in Loch Ness, the Loch Ness monster? Oh. Is he really a monster though? I, I think he is not a monster. I think that. I should say it. We don't know. It's, it's gender <laughs> identity. Um, I think it is a friend and not a foe. <laughs> so and then maybe uh, maybe Jimmy and Jimmy and uh, Nessie were just partying. 
So if if you play Stairway to Heaven backwards, supposedly you hear the words, here's to my sweet Satan, which <laughs> honestly seems like really quite a feat if you're able to make a song that makes sense and have it make sense backwards as well. <laughs> I love this whole trend that we went through where it was like, you have to play everything backwards in their secret. Like, <laughs> like that, that's not a thing anymore. Like we don't talk about that constantly. But there's all there was that, and then there was like you know this syncing up uh, Dark Side of the Moon to Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz, thank you. Yeah, there was all there were all, there was this whole idea that there were nefarious things in songs, rather than the songs themselves could just be nefarious on their own. <laughs> <laughs> now, Paige adopted a symbol that looked like the word Zoso, Z O S O, mm-hmm. and actually can be found as a sticker on the back of my brother's SUV. Because mm-hmm. he's a big Zeppelin fan. The origin of the symbol actually was traced back to a 16th century Italian astrologer and some old French texts about the devil. <laughs> I always wondered where that where that symbol came from. That that definitely enlightens it for me. But uh, he was involved in the creation of a movie called Lucifer Rising by a guy named Kenneth Anger, who he met at a Crowley auction. Mm-hmm. And the movie was about summoning Satan to usher in a new age. And Paige ended up flaking out on the music. <laughs> uh, but it, it, after he flaked out, the guy got Bobby Boussoulet, who was one of the Mar- Manson murderers, to do the music. And this is after the Manson murders, so it wasn't like... <laughs> so far, this is the most incriminating evidence of any individual rock star within the, the occult movement. Yeah. And then there was Black, Black Sabbath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and th- they had, like, overt demonism. Although, oddly yeah. enough, they had some songs that were about, like, they had Christian themes as well. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think they were also just an act, despite yeah, everything. Sure. But their uh, music was very concerned with cosmic evil. But interestingly, they had the, the, the title song on their album, Black Sabbath, used this dissonant sort of wrong pattern that sort of mm-hmm. went against the blues progression. Mm-hmm. And it, was called, it used what was called the liturgical chord or the diabolus in musica, which was traditionally thought to be a representation of the devil. Wow. <laughs> Deep musical knowledge here. Are you studying musical theory, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually want to plug. Uh, there's a book called Here's to My Sweet, Sweet Satan, and I'll link it on the website that goes into all the occult the occult things in rock music and the movies and things. How much do you think Ozzy Osbourne's reputation got damaged from his show? Yeah, are you talking about the reality show or like yeah, the, the reality heads? show? I don't know. I think I don't know that I, I wouldn't say it was damaged because at that point, everybody who listened to Ozzy Osbourne in his heyday was, you know, old. And <laughs> I still think that like for an artist, like you want, you want your art to live on and, mm. the, and maybe, maybe he just stopped caring about the message of it. Or maybe it's like art he made as a young person and he, he moved past that. But I don't know. I, if I were, if I had been a successful musician and I had a reputation as being a true artist, uh, <laughs> even, if, even if I was associated with the occult and the devil, uh, I yeah. wouldn't do a reality show where it's kind of a joke. <laughs> Sharon. Yeah. Well, he was so like <laughs> he was so like leaned out on drugs and just had his mind frayed for so long. Yeah. yeah. But uh there was actually an incident where because his fans took it a lot more seriously than mm-hmm. Black Sabbath actually did. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of them, like hundreds of them, showed up at this hotel and started just chanting, ah, it was freaking <laughs> him out. And so to diffuse the situation, the band came out and sang them happy birthday. Which I'm I mean, gonna use that next time things get tense in a meeting. I'm just gonna start singing "Happy Birthday." <laughs> I think it's a good strategy. Let's diffuse it, take it down a notch. You know, I think these these things come in in waves, right? You kind of had you kind of had this very overt occult element in rock wane by mm-hmm. the mid '70s. You know, obviously, like 
goth rock has the elements of the occult, but I, I think it's different than what we're talking about here with these mm-hmm. sort of bigger rock bands. I think it is more about the aesthetics, you know, um, yeah. as opposed to, you know, a true interest in that topic. But then you think like you look fast forward 20 years and then you got mid nineties. Right. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of it kind of came back. You look at some of the like early nine inch nails stuff, and then you had Marilyn Manson, you know, I, I just think the cyc- cyclicality of it, like that stuff has come back from time to time. Well, I've, I've read somewhere that uh, Trent Reznor used to be a, a youth pastor, and then a lot of his music was sort of focused around his falling away from faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he, I, I think a lot of it was based not on a belief in like Satanism, but mm-hmm. sort of a disbelief in his his previous faith. In the in the 90s, I wasn't super into Nine Inch Nails, but I have to say that I have kind of come around on them a lot and mm-hmm. and become kind of a decent fan mm-hmm. of, of their whole catalog of music as well as like the work that Trent and Atticus Ross are doing on soundtracks. Um, yeah. But like the going and listening to Trent Reznor talk about his whole past and his career, like he is such mm-hmm. a thoughtful person. Mm-hmm. He's incredibly smart. And I think that, you know, he's really able to like place it in the context, like in this larger career arc and where he was and how he evolved beyond that. And it's really nice to see someone be able to like admit to how deep into drugs they were and, and it didn't mm-hmm. ruin him, right? He came out of it and like his career is now stronger than it ever was. Like, Well, he's he like won some Oscars for his movie, his movie yeah. soundtracks and yeah. I mean, they freaking, they did the soundtrack <laughs> to Soul or the score. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> yeah. The Pixar movie, <laughs> which, which is, I think is really interesting. Cause like the, the jazz compositions are, I believe by Jean, ba- Jean Baptiste. And then, mm-hmm. um, you know, the score is by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. And it's like, you would never think to put those two artists together, but it's fantastic. So dipping back into, into the trajectory of goth rock, the, you know, just, I think the two biggest influences honestly are, are glam and punk and post-punk mm-hmm. specifically. Um, but yeah, you look at like, uh, mid seventies, like after sort of the, the wave of artists you reference kind of had their peak, right. Then you start mm-hmm. to have like, like Bowie, like becomes huge. Right. Mm-hmm. And Bowie like takes this theatricality to another level. Like every album there's like, he has a different character that he embodies, mm-hmm. which is really amazing. And he's really able to sell it. Um, you've got bands like Roxy music and T-Rex, mm-hmm. you've got artists like Brian, Eno, which are really taking sort of glam. Um, an ambient even to like a whole new aesthetic level to the point um, where Brian Eno appears in like every other New York times crossword. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like today he does. Yeah. <laughs> Just cause he's been involved in so many projects. So yeah, seriously, if you're playing and doing New York time crosswords, know the name Brian Eno. <laughs> yeah. Brian Eno's great. I, I, I love his ambient albums. So we're going to, we're going to drop another short this week. We're going to do a little get to know the meerkat segment. So that'll come next, but um, it's been real, Dave. Thank you for going along on this journey to talk about goth rock and mystery train and the occult. And I appreciate your deep level of knowledge on this topic that you brought. To this <laughs> oh, you know what? Before we end, I want to make one, one more note. We didn't officially recognize on the air our new theme song, so I want to give a shout fantastic. out. I want to give a shout out to Tony Frogmouth, dope ass band that I'm actually uh, part of. I'm the artist resident artist of the band <laughs> and um you're you're but, listed as a member of the band on there i am listed as a member of the band but but the true genius is the music um they're based in brooklyn you can go to the band camp page which we'll link to excellent but yes. anyway well it was great speaking with you spaghetti jones out 
I am Black Hole Sonny Rollins, and this has been Planet of the Meerkats. Planet of the Meerkats is produced by Neil Fries and David Garrison, and our theme music is by Tawny Frogmouth.